was I? Oh, be praying for us as a church. Um, I've always uh, encouraged, we've, we've encouraged you from the start to uh, be in prayer for us in leadership positions because our, it's our fundamental conviction that we just are not going to know the mind of God and be able to operate in the power of God unless everything that we do is, is undergirded with prayer. And so I want to encourage you to be really in, in a lot of prayer for us as a church and in, in particular for those of us in leadership positions as we're coming to some very important decisions here in the life of the church. Um, we're thinking about the fall and uh, where we're going to be, what we're going to do. We're kind of outgrowing this space. And, uh, uh, and so it, it may be that the Lord wants us to move into a larger facility. At the same time, uh, there, are, there, there are several people that are, are beginning to be raised up in the body here that are interested in doing church plants. And that's something we're, we're very much behind. Robert Ba uh, is, has gotten a burden for the people of Ghana that are here in the Twin Cities, many of whom have English as, as a very secondary language and don't feel comfortable in, with their cultural background in, in uh, other churches. And so he, he wants to minister to the people of Ghana. And we'll be saying more about that later on. But we're going to encourage as many people as feel led to be a part of that and to plant this church. Sometimes people define church success in terms of, of, of sheer numbers, the numbers that you have. But that is not the criteria for success. The criteria for sex, success of a church is the impact you have in the kingdom. And that impact can be localized in your church body, but it can also be by way of the, of the, of the churches that you plant. And so we're seeking the Lord's will on that. We're in the process of putting together a board to kind of broaden our base of support and input. And so there's just some real uh, interesting and important and exciting things going on. I want you to be in prayer about all that. End of commercial. Let's read some passages. Uh, the, the next three weeks we're going to be talking about gifts in the body of Christ, about body ministry and what it means to be a minister in the body of Christ which all of us are. And uh, as a way of getting into that, this morning I'm going to talk about, I'm going to lay the foundation for that by preaching mainly from Ephesians chapter 4, as often happens with me, the introduction to the sermon became the sermon. And so uh, I, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the verse that you have in your bulletins first, and then turn right over to Ephesians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it's in your bulletins. Paul's here speaking about the body of Christ, and he says, Now you are the body of Christ. You, you Corinthians. You average Corinthians, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, then prophets and teachers and workers of miracles, gifts of healing and ability to help others, those with gifts of administration and those who speak in different kinds of tongues. But are all apostles? Of course not. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Of course not. Do all have the gifts of healing and do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret when someone speaks in tongues? And the answer is, of course not. But eagerly desire the greatest or the most beneficial gifts. Okay, that's a sampling of some of the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks. A lot of these gifts, I know, are, are foreign to a lot of us because they haven't been talked about too much. And for, for a lot of people, they're kind of scary. Uh, but they don't need to be spooky or scary or threatening in anything, and we're going to try to make this more practical in the next two weeks. Now I'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read verse 7. Paul says this, But to each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, as Christ decided to divvy it up. This is why it says in Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, speaking of Christ, when Christ ascended up on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
Here's a kind of a confusing part, but hang with it. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended into the over earthly re regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was Christ, the one who's ascended now, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers in order to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's pray. Father, we stand in a position where we desperately need your spirit to empower your word this morning. I, Lord, am going to be trying to come against uh, some real obstacles that the enemy, I believe, has constructed to keep the church from walking in the full power that you would have it to walk into, Lord. But I'm very aware, Lord, that, that words cannot do that. Only your spirit can do that. So, Lord, use these words and empower them and give them divine energy, Lord, to come against the enemy and his obstacles that sometimes clog the heart and the minds of your people. Because, Lord, you have raised up an army here, but so much of our resources are submerged and suppressed because of lies that we've been told. So, Lord, activate it this morning. I pray, God, that you would just explode this stuff this morning. But you've got to do that, and I've got to rest from trying to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a young lady, I'll call her Emily, um, that I spoke with a little while ago, actually just before Christmas. Emily was a pretty competent, self-assured, self-assertive sort of person, not the kind of person that, that would let other people walk on her, walk all over her. She'd gone through a lot of healing, and, and as a part of her healing, had developed a pretty good idea of who she was in Christ. And so she maintained herself very well. But Emily was nervous around Christmas time because around Christmas time, she had to get together with her family, her family Christmas reunion. And something happened to Emily when she'd get together with her family. When Emily would get together with her family, all of a sudden she'd lay aside her, her self-confidence, her self-assuredness, her identity in Christ, and Emily would become this very scared, very timid, very shy, very shamed eight or nine or ten-year-old little girl. When she would get together with her family, she would fit into the roles that had been prescripted for her in her family history. Some of you have found this, haven't you? When you go back to your families, you ever find it? You go back and, and, and you're not at all the way you really are. Because you, you fit into the dynamics that you grew up with. It's very, very frustrating. Well, Emily would go back home, and in her home, the dad had the role of being the boss. Her dad had the role of being the dictator. Whatever the dad said we were supposed to do, that's, that's what uh, we did. And no one, no one else in the family was allowed to make any major decisions because that was the dad's job. The mother's job was to be a buffer between dad and the kids, the peacemaker, the caregiver, and all that kind of stuff. The submissive, nice wife who never asserted her own opinion about anything. That was her role. And, and Emily's role was, was pretty much to be the scapegoat. When Emily would go back there, she, uh, she would be the one who would quietly, passively watch her dad make all the decisions, quietly, passively watch her mom be submissive. She was the one that, uh, whenever anything was going wrong, they first looked to her. She was the one that just sat quietly as her dad would sometimes make snide comments about her lack of intelligence and about her body size, and Emily would just take that. And her sister Jane was sort of the hero of the family. She was the one who got all the good grades, was the brownie, who did everything right. And that was, that was Jane's role. She was the hero. That is what we might call, in some respects, a dysfunctional family. Because in that family, the roles that the individuals were to play were pre-scripted and were inflexible. 
in that family, the roles that people played were part of the people's identity. You didn't do certain tasks. You were those tasks. You were assigned those tasks. And if that was your job, if that was your job description, your role within this family structure, no one else was allowed to do that role. If dad was assigned to being the boss, it just sort of was agreed. No one ever wrote it down on paper, of course, but it was understood. If dad was the boss, then no one else was ever allowed to make decisions. And if mom was the caregiver, no one else was supposed to be the caregiver. And if Jane was the hero, no one else was supposed to be a success. And if Emily was the scapegoat, no one else had to ever be the scapegoat or get blamed for everything. The roles were prescripted, they were inflexible, and they were there. Everyone knew what their job was and therefore what their jobs weren't. Now my purpose for laying all that out is this. I really believe that the church to a significant degree throughout its history has adapted a, a dysfunctional family model for its paradigm of what a church is supposed to be. Where roles are inflexible and people surrender their own capacities to someone else to do the role. And once that is done, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a written deal that can't be revoked. You see, somewhere, someone, somehow, for some reason, somewhere down the line in the early church decided that what the, what the church really needs are some specialists. What the church really needs are some professionals. What the church really needs are some ministers, and it's their job to do ministry, and therefore it's not other people's job to do ministry. What is good for the church somewhere, someone, sometime, somehow came to the conclusion that what's good for the church is, 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 for, is for the church to have professional prayers, a specialist in prayer, and we'll put them in monasteries and cloisters and what have you, and their job is to pray, and their prayers count more than ordinary people's prayer. And everyone's supposed to pray a little bit, but it's their main job to, to be the main prayer warriors. And what we need are special, uh, special professional intercessors. And if you want to get to God, you've got to go through their intercession. And what we need are special professional religious guild, holy people, Father Divine, Pope, Bishop, Pastoral, whatever you want, call them what you will. What we need, we, what we need are those kinds of people to be the professional caregivers and the professional service to the world kind of people and the professional proclaimers. What that means is that it's no one else's job to do the proclaiming, and it's no one else's job to do the service, and it's no one else's job to do the caregiving. That's their responsibility. Our job is just to watch them and support them do that. So we call them ministers. What we need are specialists, professional ministers, and therefore we are not the ministers. And then the, the ministers buy into this. The priests, they, they buy into this. Somewhere, somehow, somehow, somewhere down the long line, uh, they bought into this whole thing because there's a lot at, at, at stake here, a lot of advantage in this. Hey, we're the holy people, we're the specialists, we're the religious guild. People look up to us, we're a, little, we're a notch above the rest, we're closer to God than the rest, and there's a good living in this, by the way, and, and uh, people will respect us. And so now we don't mind doing the ministry and having everyone else watch us do the ministry. So we take on the role to ourselves. And in fact, it can get to the point where if you really come to identify with your role, if like in a dysfunctional family, this is who you are, this is your life, this is what you're about, then not only are you willing to do the ministry while everyone else watches and supports you, but you get intimidated if anyone else tries to do the ministry. If, there, if there's a professional, if there's a preacher in, in, the, in the body of Christ that's better than the professional preacher, well that professional, in order to keep his professional status and in order to protect his life, he can't encourage that person to use his gift in the church. You've got to squash it. And if there's a teacher who's got a gift of teaching, better than perhaps the professional specialist religious teacher has, he can't encourage that. His livelihood, his impression, his, his stature is at stake, so you've got to suppress it. And if there's somebody who's got sort of a, an ability to pray with an anointing or somebody who's got a gift of healing or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a vision of faith, 
Well, that might just intimidate the, the, the ministerial specialist whose job it is supposed to be to do all that stuff. What business do you, a lay person, have coming up with all that kind of a, uh, stuff? I've got to squash you. I've got to suppress you. I've got to keep you out of, uh, out of the, 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 the public eye in order to protect my livelihood. And some of you know from experience, sometimes it can happen that a person who is really on fire for God and has uh, an anointing and some special gifts, for that person, churches can sometimes be very dangerous places. Can it? Because you might just get stepped on. And what I want us to see more than anything else this morning is that that model, that dysfunctional model where all the, 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 the ministerial role stuff is surrendered to the professionals is as antithetical to what the Word of God specifies the church what the church should be, as it could possibly be. It's, 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 it's the direct opposite of that. And I want, to look, I want to look at Ephesians 4 to point that out. Ephesians 4, let's look at, first of all, verse 7. Paul says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And when he ascended up on high, he led captives in his train and distributed gifts to men, quoting Psalm 68. I want you to key in on those words, to each one of us. To each one of us. It's all inclusive. It is impossible for a person to be a believer and to be utterly devoid of gifts, to be utterly devoid of some apportioned grace from Christ. Because the verse says, to each one of us. That means you can sit here this morning, and it doesn't much matter whether you've been a believer for, for five minutes or whether you've been a believer for 50 years. You can say, to me has been given some grace of Christ, and gifts have been distributed to me. The verse is all-inclusive, isn't it? Does it say that God gave gifts to the religious elite? The answer is no. Does it say that God has given gifts to those who have had Master of Divinity training? Right. I didn't get this church to be an amen in church. That's what I, you know. Does it say, brother? I want to know, does it say? Yeah. Does it say that you had to have, uh, you know... A certain level of spiritual maturity or a spir certain level of spiritual recognition or that your life has to be all together. Does it say that? No. I gotta, I'm going on a roll here. I've got to come up with something else. Does it say that, that God gives the gifts according to, uh, on the basis of, of gender, on the basis of race, or on the basis of denominational affiliation? No. no. It says to each one of us. Praise the Lord. Hey, this is fun. <laughs> to each one of us. Glory to God. The pastor distributed gum to all people. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah, yeah. To the believer, to everyone who's part of the bride of Christ, to everyone who's part of the body of Christ, to you has been given gifts without qualification. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It belongs to you. And so the bottom line of that, the implication of that is this. That if you're a believer, you have not been called to watch people do gifts. You've been called to have gifts. You've been called to exercise gifts. And if you're a believer, you haven't been called to watch ministry happen. You've been called to be a part of the ministry. If you are a believer, you haven't been called to watch God's power work through people. You have been called to be a conduit of God's power, an instrument of God's power. If you are a believer, you haven't been called to be a bystander in the body of Christ, a spectator in the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the eyes of Christ and the ears of Christ and the hands of Christ here on earth. And Jesus Christ, now that he's ascended up on high, doesn't do anything except through his arms and his, and his eyes and his ears and his body that is here. And you are part of that, you. And nothing else really matters in terms of qualifications or whatever. God gives gifts as it pleases him to each one of us. 
The dysfunctional family model system is as antithetical to this as it could possibly be. And then Paul says this, and here it gets really interesting. I never, I never really read this passage as closely as I've read it this week. And this is why my introduction to the series became the first sermon in the series. Because this verse just got too good for me. He says, when he ascended on high, when Christ ascended up on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Hey, that's a powerful passage. Let, let me give you a little background here. Three points of background. And then, we'll, then, then you'll see what the passage means. Like, what's going on here? First of all, you've got to know this, that it was the custom in the ancient world when a king would invade a, a kingdom and conquer it, he would take the army of that, that vanquished, defeated kingdom and he would march back to his victorious kingdom and he'd parade those soldiers through town full, you know, with, with, with their arms in chains, their legs in chains. Usually they'd have been scourged by this time. Often they dressed them up in funny costumes so that the people of the victorious town could mock them. And usually they'd parade them through town, sometimes for a couple of days. It was a major party. And then usually they'd execute them. Okay, a little barbaric, but, you know, that's the way it was back then. That was the custom. It was also the custom that when the king would invade these, uh, the, the, the enemy territory and defeated that enemy, that he would take the booty, the bounty, the spoils of the wealth of that kingdom and bring it back. And as they were doing this parade throughout the town... The king and the captain would just distribute this wealth with, his, with the people of his kingdom. They would share in the victory as the king would throw out gifts, throw out the coins, the money, the clothing, what have you, just distribute the wealth to his people. Often he'd take this, the swords and the weapons, the arrows of the defeated army and, and distribute those as well to his own army and to other people. That was part of the spoils that he had. That was called the captain's train. That line of defeated people behind him, the captain's train. It was the cloak that he wore like a mantle. And, and, and these defeated people would be sort of his trophy case. That was his train. Now, a second piece of background that you've got to know here before I get to it, and it looks like this piece of background is, it has nothing to do with the first piece of, piece of background, but it does, so just hang with me here. The second piece of background, and this is elementary review for a lot of you, but when God created the world, he created a, a, a real spectrum of beings in creation. At the height, the highest part of this creation, were, were, were the, uh, the angels, the angelic realm. God gave to angels, we see from Scripture, an authority and an empower and an intelligence and capabilities that, that dwarf human capabilities. They're not confined to physical bodies the way we're confined. They're not confined to obeying the laws of gravity and the laws of physical existence like we are. They're powerful, magnificent beings. They are what you might call gifted beings. And the greatest of these was Lucifer, the bright and morning star, the most beautiful, intelligent, and crafty of all of God's creation. But as you know from the Bible, Lucifer chose to use his greatness, the gifts that God had given him, to rebel against God. And when he fell in rebellion against God, the Bible says that many angels also fell with him, and, and, and Lucifer became Satan, the adversary, the devil, and these other angels that followed him became demons. But they still retained their God-created giftedness. Their power, their scope, their authority is still great. So the Bible can say things like this, that Jesus says that Satan is the Lord of this, 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 this world, the prince of this world in John chapter 12. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this age. And, he, and Paul says in Ephesians 2 that, that Satan is the principality and power of the air, and he roams the earth like a roaring lion. 
And you read from Scripture that, 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 that demonic forces have power to do some incredible things. They have power to deceive people and blind people. They have power to appear as beautiful spiritual beings. They have power to give people beautiful, euphoric religious experiences. And we're seeing a lot of that happen in our culture today. They have power, 2 Thessalonians tells, tells us, to do miracles, even deceptive miracles. When it's to their advantage, they can, they can uh, inspire people to be very compassionate if that will lead in deception. We see in our culture an explosion of demonic activity. And we see that sometimes this, this demonic uh, superhuman intelligence is sometimes manifested as psychic ability. Psychic ability. They have power to do that. Sometimes we have demonic prophecies given. Sometimes you have demonic tongues manifested. And it's even possible for Satan to bring about healings when it will, when it will contribute to his deception. Tremendous power that far outgoes human capability. Those are the first two pieces of background information, but the third piece of background information is this. That, as it goes, sounds kind of scary. It sounds kind of fearful. It sounds, you know, like something we should really be worried a lot about. But you never find the Bible portraying Christians as people who worry about Satan. Never. You never find them, you know, fearful or, 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 or you know, full of trepidation or anything with this. What you find is, is that they're full of confidence. And the reason they're full of confidence is because, and this is the third piece of background information, the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, among the many things that he did there, including forgiving our sins and redeeming us, among the many things that he did, he entered into the enemy, the enemy territory, into the jaws of hell. And the Bible says that when he died on the cross, he in principle defeated his arch enemy. He in principle vanquished his foes. He in principle brought them to nothing. 1 John 3.8 tells us that when Jesus died, he destroyed the devil and his works. Uh, Hebrews 2 tells us the same thing. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy on the cross. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1 tells us, I hope you're getting all these passages down now. No, it's 2 Corinthians 2. Uh, one, it's 1 or 2, verse 20. I can't remember. But Paul says that if, 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 if these demons would have had a, a full understanding of what God's plan of salvation is, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because that's what spelled their demise. They thought they were getting a victory, but as it turns out, God was pulling an incredible divine trap on them, and, 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 the, and, and, and Christ stormed into the jaws of the gate of hell and defeated the enemy, vanquished them in principle. But now here comes the fourth point, and that's the verse that we're dealing with here. Follow me on this. Now Paul tells us that when he ascended up on high, he led captives in his train and distributed gifts to men. What's he talking about here? What he's getting at is this. And this is great stuff. Somehow, maybe it's in a, in a spiritual realm. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how, where to place this, but the picture is very clear, and what Paul's referring to is very clear. When Christ ascended up on high, he had something like this. Uh, Satan and all these legions of demons, I suspect there are millions, if not billions, of, of these demonic powers, but they're held captive now because they've been in principle defeated. And they're in his train. They're following there. Colossians 2.15 tells us that when Christ died on the cross, he made an open mockery of Satan. An open mockery. And the word that Paul uses for mockery there, or laughingstock, is the very same word that was always used when these captains would parade their, their captives throughout town and the people would mock them. Jesus Christ made an open mockery. In his train are these mocked captives. And when he ascended up on high, he somehow in the spiritual realm led these, these captives captive. They were behind him. And then it says that he did what any good captain would do. He did what any good king would do. He divided up the spoils. He divided up the booty. And he took all of this fantastic power that was given to these angelic beings who were trying to use this against God. 
And he said, it's time to celebrate with my bride. And he gives the gifts to people. The picture I get is of Christ leading this, this train of defeated, vanquished enemies, and he's just having a good time, and he's throwing out all these gifts. He's throwing out all these gifts to the church. And the reason he's throwing all these gifts to the church is because it's through the use of these gifts, the very thing that the enemy once had on us, that we're to finish off the work of the enemy. When it comes down to it, it means this. That whatever power Satan had is now as a gift the church's power. Whatever power he had to destroy has become the church's power to bring healing. Whatever power he had to deceive is now the church's power to proclaim truth. Whatever supernatural power he may have had to hold people in oppression is now as a gift the church's power to liberate people. Whatever psychic powers demons ever had is now the church's gift, and the Bible calls it a word of knowledge. Whatever wisdom or craftiness Satan and demons ever had is now given to the church as a gift, and it's called a word of wisdom. All that the enemy ever had on us, we now have on him, and God calls us to use these gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit to finish off the job. It's kind of like he's walking here, and he's gotten back in his train, all these defeated enemies, and he hands out the swords, and he hands out the arrows. And he says, you know how this guy, this, this camp here, used to always use these very weapons to, to slay you and slay your kids and bring horror and nightmares into your life? Well, I want you to use that to finish them off. And so in a spiritual way, the Lord gives gifts to the church. Every single person who believes in the Lord, the Lord gives gifts to the church. And part of what that means is that it's like on the day of Pentecost when, when the Lord said to the Holy Spirit, go down and, and fill them. He said, but wait a second, I got something here. I got, I got this booty. I got a ton of this booty here. I got this spoke. I'll make sure that you give my bride all of this. She's going to need them. Take it down and distribute it among them all, every single one of them. The gifts of the Spirit are given to every believer so that we can be involved in kingdom-building work, which is always directly or indirectly about kingdom of darkness destroying work. You see how vital it is for the church to have the gifts, for people to know that they are gifted, to know that you have been called to be a warrior. You have been called to do ministry. He had captives in his train. There's another, there's another attack the enemy uses, though. He's powerless, okay? The bottom line for this thing is this. Whatever power there is in this whole thing between Satan and us, you've got it all. Okay, you just got to know that. You have got it all. Okay, he's impotent. Not only is he impotent devoid of power, but whatever he had, you now have. That's the gist of this whole thing. You've got the gifts. But he still can lie. And so he spreads, to buy time, I think, one more lie. Hey, by the way, that booty that spoils and stuff that really is mine, well, that's not for you. That's for the specialist. Uh, that's, just for the, that's just for the leaders, the holy people, the religious people, the reverends, the fathers, the divine, the popes, the bishops, those kind of people. You know what I'm talking about. Not for you. Not for you. I mean, after all, and the whisper goes on, after all, we all know about you now, don't we? I mean, as if God would want to give you gifts. <laughs> we know about your past. We know about your present. Come on, do I need to remind you of all that again? I'll be glad to do it. And think of all the past times where you've tried to do things and, and you fall flat on your face. Do you really want to have to go through that excruciating pain again? But I'll be glad to do it for you if you want. That's just for the, 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 the religious people, the leaders, for the few. You, you know, you're not qualified to be gifted. You haven't even trained to be gifted. You don't have the personality to be gifted. Give me a break. So what the enemy does is he gets a thousand to stop using their gifts so that the one man of God can use all the gifts and thereby renders the army of God largely impotent, at least far less powerful than it could be, and keeps Christians from developing the kind of confidence and the kind of strength and the kind of warfare mentality that they, that they could ever have. 
Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, when we are not unaware of Satan's schemes, he cannot outwit us. When, he, when we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes, you know, remember, the highest of all the angels has a lot of brain. Oh, he's smart. I mean, this, is, this was a good one. We've got to hand it to him. Let's give him that much credit. This was a good one. It, it, it worked. But if we're not, if, if we are aware of the schemes, if we are aware of the schemes, if we're aware of what's going on, Paul says that he cannot outwit us. And what I want to do this morning, and it's right here, it's like, I got to get this out, is I just want to blow that lie, that, that crock from the pit of hell that just is so, that whisper, that rumor that is in our brains that's telling us that it's the pastor's job, it's not our job, they have all the gifts, we have none of the gifts. I want to blow that up. I want to call an end to this joke, this trick, this, this scheme, this deception, this lie, this fog, this darkness, and say, Satan, we've got your number now. It's not going to work any longer. We, we, we read the passage, and, and the passage says it's to each one of us. So if there's anything in our mind, whether it comes from tradition or past experience or an angel of light appearing in our bedroom that doesn't agree with the verse, we say, get out of here, enemy. You have no role here. We live by the truth, and the truth is that we as the bride of Christ and the body of Christ are as gifted as any people could ever be. You are a warrior, amen? You are a fighter. It's all a lie. Just put a dynamite stick under it and push the lever and watch it explode. Now, the job of leadership, and I close with this. When I say I close with that, no one ever believes me, so I, I, I won't. I didn't say how long I'd close with that. <laughs> and now for part two, listen. The final thing I want to say is this. If you, if you go on with this verse, this, this, this thing, it says, here, it says here, okay, so Christ ascended up on high far above everyone to give gifts to, to everybody. And then it says this, some of these gifts, a few of these gifts are this. He gave some to be apostles, okay? There are 12 gifted people who are apostles. Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Good gifts. Not everyone has them. Most people don't have them, but they're good gifts. What is the purpose of these gifts? So that they can do all the good stuff, do all the ministry stuff, do all the caretaking, praying, intercession, hospital visitation, whatnot? No. The purpose for these gifts is the next verse tells us to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. The job of leadership is not to monopolize the gifts. It's to prepare the gifts. It's to distribute the gifts. It's to recognize the gifts. It's to train people in the gifts and to set them free. The purpose of, of, of ministry is not to monopolize the power and be intimidated when someone else does it better than we do. The purpose of ministry is to empower and pray to God that you'll raise up somebody who can do it better than you. What else can be better for the kingdom? The purpose of ministry is not to be the do-it-all, the end-all, the hog-it-all of ministerial stuff, but to raise up people. And when that happens, Paul says, when that happens, the church is built up. The church is built up. Building together of the body. The image there is of a bodybuilder. Ever watch bodybuilders? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Uh, you know, Hans and Franz, you know, no Guillaume's. <laughs> Mr. Steroids. You know, you watch these guys, it's like, you know, they, they have this idea of, of how, how deformed can I make my, you know, lats. And you ever see they got these bumps going out like this, and he's like, oh, is that a cancer? No, it's my muscle. <laughs> Okay, so they buy, but the way you bodybuild, the way you get, you know, and I, I, I like bodybuilding. I, I, about, I go on these streaks where I, I'll, I'll 
for about three months, just go down to the weight room three times a week, you know, and lift a little bit and kind of, you know, get, get nice and firm and strong and pretend like I'm young again. Uh, but then I go through like five months where I don't touch them, you know, so it doesn't do much good. But if you want your body to be firm, if you want to grow, if you want to be strong, and if you're preparing for competition or a battle, you got to do that. You've got to exercise the muscle. You know, so, some people go out and they buy these weight machines and they put them downstairs and they sit there and somehow you think that just having the machine there makes you healthier. Uh, isn't it true? But it doesn't work that way. You can go to a weight room and watch people work out all you want, you know, but that doesn't make you stronger. If you want to get stronger, if you want to develop, you've got to get down there and you've got to start lifting the weights. You've got to start doing the exercises. And so it is in the body of Christ. What builds up the body of Christ is when everybody starts flexing their muscles, starts lifting weights. At first, you're weak. You know, if you've never done stuff before, you've never helped out in ministry, you've never been a part of service, you've never tried your gifts in a small group or whatever, at first, it's kind of awkward, you know. You've never prayed in public, you know, so it's a little bit scary. But the more you do it, pretty, pretty before long, you begin to see that, man, this thing clicks. I, this is good. It begins to be rewarding. Christ becomes more real to you. Ministry becomes more real to you. The things of God become more real to you. The warfare becomes more real to you, and Christianity begins to take on a fire. But it only comes when you begin to lift. See, what, what the church has been like for, for far too long, it's kind of like, I've got to wrap this up, but it's got a cool picture. It's like, um, you know, there have been strong people who have been doing all this, okay? The professionals, okay? So they're big Arnold Schwarzenegger types. But it's kind of like a church where, picture Pee Wee Herman with Arnold Schwarzenegger arms. You know, it's like, you know, Pee Wee Herman, you know, you know He's a bad illustration, I guess, but I couldn't think of a wimpier person. But, <laughs> but, but he's got Arnold Schwarzenegger arms. Now, this won't do him any good. It's like a body that's just overdeveloped in one area, you know, just right here. But his legs are like toothpicks, and everything else about him is, is you know, like toothpicks. He'd be worthless in a fight. He'd be worthless in a competition or a battle, man. He's got such weak legs, you just kick him in the legs. Those big arms are, are going to do him no good. And so it is with the church. It's like the church has been overdeveloped, like taking massive spiritual steroids in one area, but the rest of the church, all the other gifts, have been dormant. They haven't been there at all. They're never being exercised. So you get a real lopsided church that isn't all that effective in battle. I need to apologize to Pee Wee. I, I, was, I was mean. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry, Pee Wee. All right, I, I thought I should do that. So it is with us. The Lord wants to develop the whole body and wants it to be strong, but that means that, that we are only as strong as our weakest link. And, and each one of us has to contribute to the carrying of that load. Sometimes when you're injured, you need to rest. That needs to be said out loud as well. But any sports trainer will tell you that, the, that ASAP, as soon as possible, it's, it's necessary to get back and start lifting some light, some light weights. Start exercising that thing. Otherwise, you'll never get out of that injured state. And what the leadership is all about, you know, we're simply trainers. You guys are the weightlifters. We're the trainers, the coaches, the motivators, the directors to tell you how to do that. Now, in, in, in a couple weeks in May, we're going to be having a ministry fair here. We're going to give opportunities for you to kind of do some uh, reflection on where your gifts might be and areas for you to be plugged into. But I want you to be thinking about and praying about and seeking the Lord as to how he might have distributed some of the enemy's booty in your life. It is there. You maybe don't know how to look for it. You don't, you're not aware of it. But it is there. Start searching within about how, what role you might have in the body of Christ. Let's stand and close in prayer. And as always, the, uh, the front of the auditorium is open. If you, if you have a prayer need and want to come forward, we'll have people here who would be, uh, be glad to pray with you and for you. Father, thank you for pouring out, lavishing upon us the enemy's spoils, Lord, the gifts, the booty, the blessings, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for calling us, we who are unworthy, we who are in and of ourselves, we know, incapable, unqualified. Yet, Lord, it pleases you to show forth your strength in our weakness. 
And so our weakness is no disqualification. Our sinfulness is no disqualification because that just makes you shine all the brighter. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take each one of us, however battered up we may have been and however lied to we may have been by the enemy, and pour out your spirit, Lord God, and cause us to realize what tremendous warriors you have called us to be and you've equipped us to be and how we have nothing to fear because greater is he that is in us, the distributor of the gifts, than he that is in the world. So, Lord, help us to go forth out of this place with confidence, but with, with power and with anointing. In your name we pray. Amen.